0: If we could turn to First John, it's a letter in the New Testament. First John, chapter five. Um, I actually again don't have the pew Bible, so you can tell me where it is. Number, page number, please. One, two, two, five. I'm going to read from verse six. First John, chapter five, verse six. And uh, John has been talking about. This is the Apostle John, one of the disciples of Jesus. He's been talking about how do we know both that we are Christians and how do we know who Christ is. And in verse 6 he says this, this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood, and it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony. But God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which He has given about His Son. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about His Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It is uh, difficult for people to work out what is true, what is right, and people are very scared, I think rightly so, of much of what we call religion. There is also a great deal of doubt that people have about how can we actually know anything. That's not new. That has always been the case, and that's what John is dealing with here. He's talking about the one who came. He's talking about somebody who's real, a real historical Jesus. But he then gives us the evidence for that. And I'm going to look at this, and for those of us who are Christians, I hope it will help you in your faith, and it will help you communicate your faith. And for those who are not sure if you're a Christian, or if you're curious and you want to find out more, I hope that uh, you will hear God speak to you through his word. Um, this isn't a lecture. It's, we believe it is God speaking to us through his word, and it's my prayer that as we look at this, that you would be aware of that. Let's pray just before we start then. Lord, we thank you for your words. We thank you that it's sure and certain. We thank you that whatever our circumstances, it is appropriate that we come to you Lord, some of us tired and weary, some discouraged, some confused, some hurt, some arrogant and proud, some bitter and cynical. Lord, whatever our circumstances, at home, at work, in church, with our friends, within our own body, mind, spirit, may it be that we hear the voice of Jesus speaking to us through your word, for we ask it in your name. Amen. What I'm going to do is put the verses up on the screen behind, uh, so that you can see what I'm referring to, what I'm looking. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, um, it seems a little bit kind of intense. What does all this mean? The water and the blood. So, the first part we're looking at, verses six, uh, seven, and eight, are the what we're calling the reasons to believe. Before you believe something. You need a witness. You go to court, a, a trial. I don't know if you've ever been to court, if either as a victim or been to court uh, uh, on jury duty. Uh, I was called to do jury duty, but I'm a minister, so I'm exempt, which is great. Um, but if you've ever been on jury duty or if you've been called as a witness, you, you have to establish something with witnesses, and you need more than one witness. When uh, we had a break-in, when there was a flat instead of offices over there, uh, The police asked, had somebody seen? And one person had seen, a lady across the road. And they said, can you get one of the boys in the flat to say they've seen, because we need two. He said, well, that would be lying, really. You need two, there's nothing we can do, unless you've got two witnesses. There's nothing that we can do. Well, we call witnesses. And people will say about belief in God and belief in Jesus, it's just faith. You just got to believe it, and that's it. But it's not. It's it's belief for a reason. There are reasons for faith. Yes, it is faith, but there are reasons that we have faith. And I know that there are some people who, who would just simply say, no, 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 that's not for me. I don't believe any of that. Well, let me give you the witnesses that John gives, and he doesn't give two. He gives three. The first is simply the water. Now, for those of you who are Uh, well-skilled in the Bible, and the water and the blood and the spirit that are being used here as the three witnesses, some of you will be aware that there are different understandings. Some people think that water means birth, and that blood just means um, death. Some people think that water is baptism, and that blood represents the communion. There are there have been different interpretations, but it's really actually not that difficult when you remember who is writing this It's the Apostle John and in his gospel in the gospel of John. You see these three things being referred to The water is just simply the baptism of Jesus John was dealing with a group of people there are, you see we have the same problem today people who say well, you believe this about Jesus. I believe that about Jesus. We can all believe whatever we want. There was a man called Serenithus who was going around and he was teaching that Jesus was an ordinary man who at his baptism got uh, the anointing from God, and just before his death, God left him. And he was causing a lot of havoc in the church. People were saying, well, which Jesus do you believe in? Which is... And so John said, look, I was a witness to all these things. And he said, Jesus is someone unique. Jesus is the Son of God. He didn't just become at one point and then it disappear. He is. And he refers here in the water to his baptism. We can read Luke three twenty-one to 22. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. This was witnessed not by one person, not by two people, but by hundreds and thousands of people. And it was recorded and it was kept there. It was an extraordinary event. And John is saying, at his baptism, baptism, he was declared, you are my son. God, the Holy Spirit, descended upon him, and a voice came from from heaven. I know, uh, I was thinking about this. I don't know why I had this kind of rather strange thought when uh, I was just sitting up in the office earlier this morning. And I was thinking, what would it be like if suddenly I was speaking and I was silent, and then this voice came, and it wasn't out of the microphone? You would, you would all be freaked out. I would be freaked out. It would just... But that's, in a sense, that's kind of what happened and what we're being described here. What we're being told here is that this is something that we can trust. This was an evidence for who Jesus is. He didn't come by water only. Serinthus said, oh yeah, he became God at his baptism. but John says, no, no, it's by water and by the blood. Now the blood does refer to the death of Jesus, his crucifixion. John 19 verse 34 says this, instead one of the soldiers is at the crucifixion where they were testing if he was dead. One of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw this has given testimony. His testimony is true. He knows he tells the truth, and he testifies also that you may believe. Now that was an extraordinary event. Because when you were crucified, the point about crucifixion was it took you a long, long time to die. And in order to speed up the process, they would go after several hours, the Roman soldiers, and they would break your legs. And once your legs were broken, you died a lot quicker. They came to break Jesus' legs, and they said, well, wait a minute, this one's already dead. And they said, well, let's test. And they tested. I mean, it's, it's, it's barbaric, but they tested by sticking a spear in someone's side. And the fact that water and blood came out, what does that mean? Well, there's a whole load of medical, physiological stuff which indicates that um, Christ's heart had ruptured and that the, 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 the blood is what you would expect when you stick a spear in someone, but the water you would not expect. But it's certainly very possible that that's and almost certainly that is what happened. And what John is saying is, he stood at the cross. John is saying, I saw this. I saw this. The man who saw this has given testimony. He's referring to himself. His testimony is true. He knows he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you may believe. So there's a sense in which when you read this and when you're hearing this, you're like the jury. And here's a man, he's telling you what he saw. He's telling you what he heard. He's telling you what he witnessed. And that's been written down for us in the scriptures. The scriptures are the witness, the Bible is the witness to who Jesus is. But that's still not enough for us. Why? Because if you like, as the jury, well, we have our own prejudices, we have our own ideas, we have our own inabilities, we have our own fears, we have our own doubts. How do we know? There's a third the Spirit, referring, of course, to the Holy Spirit. If you read through John's Gospel, there are loads of references to the Holy Spirit. Here are two When the counsellor comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth that goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. But you also must testify, for you've been with me from the beginning. John, as one of the disciples, is being told, You have to speak, but you need to know you're not on your own, I'm sending my spirit. My spirit will testify. John 16, 13, when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. It's again Jesus speaking. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The Spirit is the truth. Now, what's important about that, go back to being in a jury, going back to being a witness. What do you swear? I swear by Almighty God that I will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. The Holy Spirit does not swear by Almighty God. He is Almighty God. He, he, he brings that conviction of the truth. We have a, a document called the Westminster Confession of Faith, and it says this, Our full assurance and persuasion of the infallible truth of the Bible is from the work of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness by and with the Word in our hearts. Because you're here, and you're listening to this, and without the Spirit at work, it's just words washing over your head. Or without the Spirit at work, it's words that go into your mind, but you put at a distance that you detach, that you analyze. You need the Spirit to be at work in your life, so that the, the conviction of what is said here, yeah, this is the truth. You know that this is the truth. Sometimes, again, going back to the, the court scene, you, you'll hear of a, someone who's on a jury, and they hear someone speaking, and they just go, you know, I just felt that that was true. Well, the, the conviction of the Spirit is even more overwhelming than that. Calvin says it's the Holy Spirit who seals in our hearts the testimony of the water and the blood. Before I came out this morning, I listened to a service, a little bit of a service on the radio, only a little bit because I switched it off because I got so angry with it and thought I'd break the radio. But uh, the minister who was preaching was saying, it's a sign that you are a Christian when you come to God and you have no certainty. God doesn't give you any certainty. And I'm going... No, no. If God doesn't give me any certainty, I have doubts and fears about lots of things. But if God doesn't give me any certainty, I'm not standing up and preaching the Bible. I'm certain this is the word of God. I'm certain that Jesus rose from the dead. These are absolute certainties that you can have. It's there. The Spirit convicts that. And you know what happens is that, that just connects with people. You're hearing God's word, it's very powerful, and the Spirit comes, and you are convicted of the the truth of things. So there's one great act of God that he has done. One great act, and the water, Jesus' baptism, Jesus' death, and Jesus' Holy Spirit, all testify to that. By the way, if some of you have um, the older version of the Bible, the King James Version, you're going to look at this and say, why is he missing out? the bit that says, and it's in the NIV footnote, um, there are three that testify in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. Why, do, why, isn't, why don't you mention that because it's talking about the Trinity? The answer is because it's not in the Bible. And please don't be too shocked at that. It's just not in the Bible. We accept what the Bible says, and the Bible's written in Greek and Hebrew. There isn't a single Greek manuscript with these words in it. What happened was that somebody added it in to the Latin Vulgate because it just seemed a great idea. You know, there are three that testify. Well, let's have three that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The Bible does teach that God is a Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It just doesn't teach that here. And it doesn't make... It's not right to just... Because it says something that's true. And, and that's incidentally... That should help us in our faith and trust in the Word of God purely and simply because we know that it's been... It's gone through many, many, many testing processes. So the first thing is, we've got reasons to believe because of the witnesses. Second, verse 9, Revelation. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he's given about his Son. We listen to people, and we often trust what they say. What John is saying here is, we can absolutely trust the revelation of God. It's greater for two reasons. First of all, because it comes from God. And secondly, because of its content, because of what it tells us, because its story is so amazing. This is my son, said God, as Jesus was baptized. Or think of the resurrection as he was raised from the dead. Paul tells us in Romans that God declared him with power by his resurrection from the dead to be the son of God. God reveals, God testifies, God speaks. Incidentally, when somebody speaks, they commit as well, don't they? If you've been asked, you're, you're like either in a court or somewhere else to bear witness. Did so-and-so say this? Did this happen? I don't know or yes they did or no they didn't it's a commitment well when God is speaking he's making a commitment and I hate this idea that somehow uh, because it's God it's got to be all woolly and, and well God said this but he didn't mean this and God said that and uh, or maybe he didn't and we just have to find our own inner path and all that kind of stuff no surely if God's going to speak he'll speak clearly and he has he's revealed himself in his son Jesus. So John says that there are reasons to believe. He says that God has revealed. And then he talks about our response. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. When we are told something, we react. When we're sitting in that jury, we react. And we have two reactions. One is saying, yes, I believe this. And the other is saying, no, I don't. Those are the only two. And I know some of you will say there's a third, but bear with me while I try to explain why there's, there's only these two. When we say yes, we're not just saying, I believe about. You'll see there he says, anyone who believes in the son of God, that's a very important word. John uses those two phrases or two words believe and in or believe and on about 35 36 times in his gospel and in his letter it's very important for him because he's not just saying do you understand that Jesus died on the cross do you understand that Jesus is the son of god do you even he's not just saying do you accept this he's saying do you believe in such a way as to act for example, you don't believe in the Loch Ness Monster. You might believe, I, I, I happen to believe that there's something there, but I don't believe in the Loch Ness Monster. I don't commit my life to the Loch Ness Monster. I don't trust the Loch Ness Monster. I don't sit at home thinking, the Loch Ness Monster really exists, and boy, that's just going to change everything for me. I, I just happen to think there probably is something, it's a thousand feet deep, there's probably something there. Um, that's it, and I, I I never, ever think about it except when I'm doing sermon illustrations. It's just, it's not something that, that, that you know, impacts my life. I do not believe in the Loch Ness Monster. I believe that there is a prime minister called David Cameron, that there's a prime minister called Barack Obama, I, or president. I don't believe in them. I don't believe in Barack Obama. I don't believe. Um, when John Lennon wrote his song, God, he, he just basically said, I don't believe, and he listed a whole lot of things, including Jesus, Which was sad, but he said things like, I don't believe in the Beatles, because there are people who believe in something, because it's the means by which they live their life and they trust their life. And we don't. To believe in implies a wholehearted commitment to. Believing in Jesus is something very different. It changes everything. And that's why, by the way, for those of you who don't believe about, and are just kind of intellectually curious and so on, it gets really dangerous when you start to grasp what the truth is and when God begins to speak. And you would think that if God began to speak to you, you would, that would be it. You would sign up for it. No, you wouldn't. What happens is this. I've seen it many, many times. People suddenly go, uh-oh, this might be true. And because they think it might be true, they run away. The gospel is so radical that sometimes it just really frightens people. Suddenly, this stops being about religion and churches and everything else, and it starts becoming very real and personal. So you can, you can react to this by believing in, by committing yourself to Jesus, or can you, re- you can react by not believing. You say, no, I don't believe this. I just don't accept it. Now, what you're doing there is you're actually saying God is lying. That's a really serious thing Saying I don't know is not enough You see everyone's opt out in our culture is I'm an agnostic Stop hassling me, don't push me, don't preach at me I just don't know There are some people who say they know I don't know But here's the problem with that position And why it's so weak For example uh, Sean, we did go swimming with dolphins I'm telling you that I ask you do you believe me I don't know If you say you don't know, you're saying you don't believe me. You're not accepting what I'm saying. Technically, you're correct. Logically, you're correct. I don't know because I wasn't there, because I don't have the absolute proof, but don't take any offense. I'm sorry, I will take offense because I've told you something, and you've said, I don't know basically because you're not trustworthy, and I don't trust you. That's what you do when you say to God, I don't know. So we think agnosticism is some highly principled thing that if only we had the evidence we would believe and God says, I've given you the evidence and you're saying it's not enough. You're saying to me, you're saying to God, it's a lie. That's a really, really serious thing. The real problem with human beings is not ignorance, nor agnosticism, but it's rebellion. We don't know because we don't want to know. The implications are way, way, way too enormous. I think that the testimony God has given, it's greater. The testimony God has given is all the evidence that we should need. But somehow, we're not only the jury, we've set ourselves up as judge and we say, no, it's not enough. It's not enough. What? Jesus Christ isn't enough. Jesus being baptized isn't enough. Jesus' miracles are not enough. Jesus' death on the cross is not enough. Jesus' resurrection is not enough. No, you say, it's not enough. Not unless this happens to me. Not unless that. No, no, no. It's enough. You just have to believe it. You see, God's testimony, or testimony itself, is both the cause and consequence of belief. God's testimony causes us to believe. And as we believe, we experience the truth, the power, and the love of God, so then we also testify. Like the woman at the well who, when Jesus spoke to her, she then went away and she said, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. John's testimony is here. The testimony of God, the testimony of Jesus, the testimony of the Scriptures, the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Well, let me say this to you. If that's too distant for you, I was somebody who didn't believe all this. And then God did reveal it through his word. And then I did believe it and it changed everything changed my whole life not a vague general belief about something somewhere maybe possibly but a belief that turns the world upside down a belief that completely changes your lives and there are thousands and thousands and millions of people whose lives have been transformed by believing what god has said and i finish with that the results verses 11 and 12 This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life, he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. What's going on here? God's testimony. This is the amazing thing. God testifies, but primarily by what God has done, not by what he says. In other words, we have to think about what happened with Jesus. He sent his Son he 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 lived he was crucified he rose from the dead this is what god has done and the result is eternal life we're assured of it through the spirit the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are god's children because you are sons god sent the spirit of his son into our hearts the spirit who calls out abba father so when i hear about jesus dying on the cross when i take communion and remember what Jesus has done. When I read the gospels for the thousandth time. I don't go. Uh huh. Tick box. Yeah. Tick box. Yeah. Tick box. Yeah. I know. That it is true. I know that Christ is alive. And that the word has that effect of. Filling your heart. Reassuring you. Encouraging you. To, to go and, and to live. For Jesus. As you believe you're given more evidence. And as you get more evidence, of course, then you trust and believe all the more. That eternal life, by the way, let me uh, me just say what that is. It's not just you die, then you live forevermore in heaven. Eternal life is about the quality of the life. It's something richer, something deeper, something more meaningful, something more fulfilling, and we can have it now. Facebook's an amazing thing. Uh, I ca- occasionally put something up there. And um, for all you stalkers out there, and I put up something about Lunan Bay, because I did think swimming with dolphins was wonderful. I just think it's mega, mega cool that there are people who paid thousands of pounds to go to Australia to swim with dolphins, to get that wish fulfilled before they die, and we went on a discovery camp to Lunan Bay, and we did it. And I, I, just, I, I just love that. I'm sorry if that amuses me and delights me. And, and that, 40, that 45 minutes was extraordinary, because we weren't going to go. Um, in the discovery camp, we were, I I'd said to Becky, Let's go to the Arbroath Cliffs, which shows why I shouldn't be a leader. Because what a daft idea, taking 27 kids on a pouring wet rainy day to the Arbroath Cliffs. Uh, she just looked at me as though I was completely mad, and we decided we'd go for Lunen Bay. We got there, and literally, as we got there, the sun came out, and we had a fabulous time. It was great. So I wrote about it on, on Facebook, and one of my non Christian friends um, commented that, yes, that's wonderful but people can enjoy themselves who are not Christians. And I wrote back and said, yes, but it helps. And the answer to that is true. Of course you can. But C.S. Lewis puts it beautifully. And let's just stick with the beach analogy. C.S. Lewis gives this illustration. It's a great illustration. He says, why would you stay at home in your tiny wee back garden in a mud pit with a bucket and spade when you've got the opportunity to go to a two-mile-long beach in glorious sunshine with the whole ocean and everything there. And that really is it. The the, the contrast that the Christian has with, I would say, the non-Christian in terms of life is this. It's not that your life is completely pathetic and you don't enjoy anything. It's that when you become a Christian, there is a a depth and there is a meaning and there is a fulfillment that is much, much richer and much, much deeper. That's what eternal life is. The life that you've got just now, you lose it, that's it. For the Christian, the life that we've got just now, is just the beginning. It's just the seed. It's just, so it's, it's very, very rich. And it comes, how does it come? Through Jesus. My Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. John always does this. He links the Son and life, Jesus and life. As the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? You can't earn it. It's a gift. It's an offer to us, to our children. And it's there from God. God testifies to it. John 540, yet you refuse come to me to have life. As I said earlier, please don't hide behind a, oh, I don't know, I'm an agnostic thing. God testifies. This is what he has done. He says, it's, it's for you. It's absolutely for you. I offer it for you. It may sound too good to be true, but don't call me a liar. It's the truth. God offers his son. What do we have to do? How do we earn it? We don't. There's nothing that we can do, except believe what God has said so that we believe in, so that we trust Jesus absolutely and totally. Now in my own head, as I put it like that, I think, why would anyone refuse that? Why? What, what could possible? Why would we want to turn away from it? Maybe you've got an answer to my question on that. Feel free. To, to talk about it or to ask but I just ask simply what Jesus says he's got life in himself believe in him and you receive that life